This morning, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. This is a special passage for us this morning because one of the things we want to do is we want to share a little bit about us, Harvest Liberty Lake Church. And first thing to share is, how do we get our name? That actually might be good for me to share my name. I don't know if I've introduced myself to everybody. My name is Sam Kramer. I have the, the blessing to be the pastor here of this, this new church. And it fell upon me, for whatever reason, to come up with a name for this church many months ago. Um, and I'll confess, it was a very difficult task, quite honestly. I, if you, um, you know me from maybe a previous ministry, I've served as one of the pastors at Valley Forth for the last seven years before coming and, and starting Harvest. Um, but I'm the type of pastor that I don't even like to name my sermons, quite honestly. The sermon is Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38, is, is what I want to do. I don't think I have enough creative juices to, to come up with good, catchy names. And so I feel that pressure each and every week, as so often you have to title a sermon. But man, did I feel it when it came to naming a whole entire church. And so the, the simple person that I am, I wanted to keep it as simple as possible. Can't we just be Liberty Lake Church? Well already taken, in case you didn't know. Um, and so the Lord kind of guided and directed me through my own reading and through my own conversation with people to this passage right here. And this passage really captures the heart of what we are seeking to do as a new church here in Liberty Lake. And so I want us to read this passage together. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some Bibles available in the back by our coffee station, or you can open up um, on your app. But we do encourage you to have God's Word open in your lap before you as we read it. So this is going to be Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. I want to read it and then share with you kind of how this name came about and some neat ways that God kind of affirmed this. But if you would stand for the reading of God's word one more time. Our benches aren't that comfortable anyway. We're going to start in verse 35. The word of God says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching at the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. This is the word of God this morning in May. And so this was the passage, the inspiration behind the name of our church. And the Lord really confirmed this choice in a really neat way. You know, we named this church for some legal purposes as we formed as an entity all the way back in January. Before we had very many of our volunteers to kind of help start our church, and definitely before we had this wonderful location that we have today, Selkirk Middle School. And it was one of these things after I met with some school officials and, and they opened this place up to us and we came with an agreement just thinking how wonderful this is, that I realized that God had clearly gone before us to help us start this ministry. I don't know if you are like me, but I've kind of lived in this area for the past five or six years and a lot of what we see outside is brand new. Brand new streets, brand new homes. And if you've lived here, you've probably driven past this school and this street a hundred times. I know I have. We, as a family, go to Orchard Park all the time. And, and I never realized what the name of that street was. It was just by Orchard Park. 
It wasn't until after we secured this location, months prior had we named this church, when I had to start putting our location on an address of where we would be meeting, that I noticed that here we are this morning at 1409 North Harvest Parkway. What a great blessing that was. I mean, we'll take all the blessing we could get in the Lord affirming the ministries that we have, but one thing that I took very clearly just from that simple thing that Harvest Church would indeed be on Harvest Parkway was that this is not my church. This is the Lord's church, that he is going before us, that he is building us, because he is the Lord of the harvest. And it's him we look to, to bring in the harvest. We are simply his laborers that he sends out. And so what I want to do with this passage is I want to cast a vision for what we want Harvest Liberty Lake Church to be and what we want to do in this community. And I have three points for us this morning. As we look at this passage, we're going to ask a few questions. The first question we're going to ask is, what is the harvest? And the answer, quite simply, is people. Then we'll ask, how is the harvest brought in? And it's through prayer and the sharing of the gospel. Lastly, we'll ask, who are the laborers? The laborers are the disciples of Jesus. And so let us start with this first question. What is the harvest? It's very apparent as, as we read this, you begin in verse 35, and when Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The harvest field that we are talking about, both in this passage and yes, presently here today, they are not plants. It's people. That there are people out there who need to be brought in to the kingdom of God. And I want us to notice a few things about the heart of Jesus here. A heart that you and I should share as we are followers of Jesus. In this passage, we see that Jesus was moved with compassion for the harvest of people. That when he looked out upon the crowds, he had compassion for them. He felt their hurt and their needs, and it moved him. He didn't ignore it. He wasn't annoyed by them. He didn't uh, dismiss them, although he probably had every right to. They were following him all the time. He was being harassed by them all the time, and yet he chose to be compassionate and to be moved and to care for them. And cared deeply for them, because they were a people indeed harassed and helpless. They were harassed given the situations that they were in. He's looking at the people of Israel as they live under the impression of a governing empire, the Romans, as they live under the harsh teachings of the Pharisees, heaping burdens upon them that they cannot bear themselves. That these people were suffering physically as Jesus would go out and spend time with them and touching the sick and the diseased and, and healing them, but most importantly that they were helpless. They were helpless to improve their own conditions. They couldn't heal themselves, and they definitely couldn't fix the problem of sin in their life and their separation from God. That Jesus was deeply moved by the great need that was in these crowds that were following him day after day after day. He had compassion for them. Yes, for their physical condition, as we see previously in Matthew, earlier in Matthew 9 and Matthew 8, that Jesus did indeed go around healing them of their physical ailments. 
but most importantly, preaching the good news of the gospel to them, that they may believe and be saved. So yes, he was moved with compassion because of their physical condition, but most notably, their spiritual condition. And this is, this is seen most cheaply in his description of them as a people harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Scripture often uses this picture of our need for God, that we are sheep, and that he is the good shepherd. But not many of us raise sheep, unless maybe you live out in Liberty Lake, but over in Otis Orchards, where me and my family live. We, we have some neighbors who indeed do have sheep, and it's the first time in my life that I've been around these animals. I've had the opportunity to talk with some of my neighbors who raise these sheep, and Jesus is actually being pretty kind by describing sheep as helpless. I mean, these are the most defenseless animals that God has probably created in all the earth. And when I talk with one of my neighbors, who in some ways is a shepherd, I mean, he just kind of shakes his head. Sheep are helpless. They have no defense mechanism against any of their enemies, any prey. A coyote, a wolf, I mean, really any animal can overpower a sheep. They have no fighting spirit in them. So much so that as he goes around his property, I've heard him talk and often complain that it doesn't even need to be a predator, that they are their own worst enemies, that they have no strength, no fight, no ability to help themselves, that he even joked with me one time that, man, if these guys fall over, what must be going through their head is like, well, I guess I'll die then. <laughs> I mean, that's how helpless these creatures are, and that's how the Lord describes us. If that doesn't humble you, I don't know what that but when we think about it, we are indeed helpless in the state and the condition that we are. As sinners before a perfect and holy God, there is nothing that we can do to make ourselves right before him. There is nothing that we can do to improve our station before him. Even when it comes to confronting the brokenness and the suffering of this world, there is nothing that we ourselves can do that can change these things. We need a shepherd. Specifically, we need the good shepherd. We are helpless and harassed just like these sheep. We have no ability to protect ourselves. No ability to fix ourselves. But this is where the invitation and the work of Jesus comes in. Jesus describes himself in John 10, 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is our protector. Jesus has come to save us. Jesus has come to put himself in harm's way because he was moved with compassion for us, the crowd, that we may be saved. And he did indeed lay down his life. That we are saved, we are redeemed by the good shepherd because of his death. He bore our punishment for our sin, that we may receive his righteousness and be welcomed into the family of God. So the first thing that I want us to understand is that we are that crowd. We are those who are harassed and helpless. We are those who are like sheep in need of a shepherd. And so this morning, if you're here with us and you do not know Jesus as your good shepherd, Please do not leave here this morning without coming to him. It doesn't take much. You simply need to believe in him. 
Not in yourself. Not in your ability to make yourself good for him. But to believe that he was good enough for you. And receive his free gift of forgiveness and salvation through faith. Believing that he died for your sins. And so I would plead with you. Come to Jesus. Know him as the good shepherd that he is. But as a Christian, if you've come this morning, you're part of the flock of God, and you're joining us at this new church, I would ask you, are you moved with the same compassion for the crowds that Jesus was? Do you look out at the people and see their helplessness, and see their brokenness, and want to see them brought in to the fold? Like I said, it would be really easy for Jesus to be annoyed with these crowds. I know this because the disciples were often annoyed with the crowd. Jesus, would you please send them away? We want to talk with you. We want to spend time with you. And so often, we as the church, we want to send everybody else away so that we can spend more personal time with Jesus. But friends, we don't have to choose between either or. We ought to have the same heart that Jesus has, that when we look at the crowds, when we look at the people in our world today, that we are moved with the same compassion that Christ has. That we want to see them brought into the fold. I was convicted of this in the months leading up to our decision to start a new church in this area. I was commuting right on that 90 freeway and wondering, God, what would you have me do? Who would you have me go to to reach with the gospel? And I kind of looked to the left, saw rows of new houses. Looked to the right, saw rows of new houses. And the Lord, through his spirit, moved. That I was moved with compassion for the people here in this community. There are not enough gospel-preaching churches here in this fast-growing community to reach the lost sheep that are here in this place. We need to be moved with the same compassion that Jesus was moved with. Knowing that, yes, here, even in Liberty Lake, a nice, growing community, a suburb, a very desirable place to me, that there is still brokenness and helpless people here. Suffering may be hidden a little bit more because we have our trimmed lawns and our HOAs and brand new houses, but yet there still, indeed, is suffering and people looking for hope in their life. Those battling illnesses, addiction, depression, Experiencing financial hardship, struggles in their marriage, all kinds of dysfunction, but most of all, people lost in their sins. They are sheep without a shepherd, and they need to be pointed to the good shepherd of Jesus. This is why I believe the Lord moved me and others to start this new church here in this community. You may have saw on some of our flyers that we want to be a new church and a new community for new people. To come to know Christ. And I feel a particular burden as a pastor of this new church to be an under-shepherd of Jesus. Did you know that the word for pastor in the Bible is shepherd? That the goal of us here as a church is to shepherd the flock of God. Acts 20, 28 says, Pray or pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. This is the job of me as a new pastor in this area and others who will serve in leadership in this church. We want to accept this charge from 1 Peter 5.2 to shepherd the flock of God that is among us. 
exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. That we want to be moved, that I, by the Lord's work in my life, have been moved with the compassion that Jesus demonstrated in this passage to see the people as a harvest, as sheep without a shepherd, that need to be brought into the kingdom of God. If God is moving on your heart for some of these things, then I invite you to come talk to me. Maybe it's you coming into the flock of God for the first time. I would love to talk with you about how Christ will welcome you as the Good Shepherd. But maybe it's you who, in this moment, are being moved with the same compassion that God moved upon me to reach those here in this community with the gospel. Because the harvest is people, and people need to be saved. And the only way that they can be saved is through Jesus. So that leads us to our next point. If the harvest is the people, then we need to ask ourselves, how is the harvest brought in? Well, Jesus tells us it's brought in, number one, through prayer, and two, through the gospel. So let's look at the first. It says, when he saw the crowd in verse 36, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then verse 37, he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. The first thing that we need to do if we desire to reap a harvest for the Lord is we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest. And to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Some other translations may have this as beseech the Lord. That this is a desperate prayer that we call out before the Lord because we cannot save lost people on our own. God needs to go before us to prepare the harvest before we, the laborers, even get there. That's what we've been doing as a church before this meeting day. We've been praying earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would go out and that he would prepare this harvest field. Our church has been praying at 917 every morning, for this day, the 17th, that God would prepare a harvest. And that we, throughout the life of this church, would be reaping a harvest because it is upon God to prepare it for us. I'm reminded of another teaching of Jesus, the parable of the soils. You may be familiar with it or not, the seed that falls on different types of ground, but only one of them produces growth. There is the rocky soil, the thorny soil, the hard soil, but it is the good soil that allows for growth to take place. We are sowers of the seed. God is the preparer of the soil. So let us pray to God that he is preparing the soil, that he is preparing the harvest before we even get there. He needs to do this work before us. Because the gospel is a funny message. When God has gone gone before us to prepare the soil, it is the power of salvation in that person's life. But if that soil is not prepared... That gospel is foolishness to that person. First Corinthians one eight, or sorry, one eighteen describes this. It says, "For the word of God is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are saved, it is the power of God." And so we need to pray earnestly that God would go before us and prepare the soil, that the harvest may be brought in. He invites us to be part of that through our prayers. So prayer is essential. I I hope and expect that our church will continue to pray often 
daily even. Maybe at not 9.17 anymore, but maybe we could pray at 9.38 to remind us of this passage. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Simply change that alarm on my phone ten minutes ahead. I would pray and that you would pray with me for the harvest that many more people would be brought in. But after we've prayed, after God has gone before us, how then is the harvest brought in? Well, it's simple, through the sharing of the message of the gospel. Prayer prepares, but the gospel is what actually brings them in. There comes a time in which we need to share, in which we, the laborers, need to go out and to proclaim the good news of Jesus. In order for someone to be saved, they must hear and believe the message of the gospel. It is the means by which God has appointed for us to come to know him and be saved. Romans 10.14 describes the necessity of what God has organized in this regard. 10.14 and 15, Paul writes, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I'm not reading the correct verse here. I copied and pasted the wrong one. I'm going to turn this way since that's much faster. How then will they go, uh, or how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If people are going to hear the gospel, then we must go and share the gospel. It's not complicated. It's actually quite simple. And yet many of us don't like the way that God has chosen to do things. Why is it, God, that you have decided that you must send people out to share this news? Can't you just do something miraculous? Can't you just give everybody a vision or or do something a little flashier, a little showier? This doesn't seem all that miraculous. This is exactly what Jesus modeled for us. Yes, Jesus was a worker of miracles, and his miracles are are quite extravagant, but yet he still modeled going and teaching and preaching the gospel. We saw this in verse 35. And when Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, he was teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's not asking you to do something different than he himself modeled. In another gospel, Mark chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus said, This is the whole reason that I came to proclaim the good news of the gospel. He says, Let us go on to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And then John 18, 37 makes it even more clear. When he's before Pilate, and Pilate's asking him if he is a king, Jesus says, You say that I am a king. But for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice that Jesus came to teach and preach the good news of his gospel that he would be the substitutionary atonement for our sins. And yet we say that seems too ordinary for God to work in this way. When we pray, we, we pray for something more miraculous, something more moving. And it reminds me of the old story of a sailor who was shipwrecked at sea floating in the ocean, crying out to God, God, save me, save me, O Lord. 
and a ship come by, comes by and offers him a, a life raft. He says, oh, no, I don't need that. The Lord's going to save me. Okay? So he continues to pray, Lord, save me, save me. Second ship comes by, same thing. No, thank you, God's going to save me. Third ship comes by, same thing. Man eventually drowns. Gets to heaven. Or, not heaven. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaks to the Lord, Lord, why didn't you save me? He says, I sent you three boats. Why didn't you take the raft? So the idea here is, it's sometimes through the ordinary, obvious means, like going and sharing the gospel, that a person can be saved. The ordinary means of you being here in this place and hearing me share the gospel multiple times may be the means by which God wants you to be saved. It may be the means that God wants to use you to save those in your life. As you pray, and like so many of us do, for our lost friends and relatives and loved ones, God, save them. And then you go out to coffee, and you're talking with them. Why not share the good news of the gospel with them then? If you're praying for God to bring the gospel into their life, maybe you are the one that God is preparing to share the gospel with them. There's a good quote by a pastor that I read in preparation for this, for this message. He wrote this. It is possible to pray regularly of the salvation of a loved one, or a neighbor, or a friend, or a fellow employee, and let our concerns stop with just our prayer. But when we earnestly pray for the Lord to send someone to those unsaved people, we cannot help but becoming open to the idea of being that someone to that person. So if you would start by praying regularly, earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, send out more laborers, to reach more people with the good news. God will use your earnest prayers likely to transform your heart, to give you a greater sense of boldness, to be more sensitive in the moment to opportunities to be that laborer in the harvest field, sharing the good news with those who need to hear it. This is something that every Christian needs to be ready and prepared to do. There are some things that people are more gifted in, in the body of Christ, but yet all of us ought to do. Some of us may be better Bible teachers, some of us may be better singers, but yet we're all to read our Bible, we're all to sing praises to the Lord. Some of us may be better evangelists at sharing their faith, but yet we are all called to be ready. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Be ready to be one of the laborers in the harvest field. God is sending you out. And he's equipped you with everything you need. You have his spirit in you. Be ready to share the hope that you have with others who are without hope, who are instead harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd. Harvest is brought in through prayer and through the sharing of the gospel. So lastly, who are the laborers that God is wanting to send out? Well, it's his disciples. Jesus gives this teaching to his disciples. It's recorded here in Matthew chapter 9. But if we were to read the parallel passage in Luke, we would see that right after he talks about needing to send laborers into the harvest field, 
What happens? Jesus sends out laborers into the harvest field. He says, go two by two into the cities and preach the good news. I give you authority to do this. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples what he wants them to do. That this, in some ways, is a shift in the pattern of his ministry. Jesus has been doing these things, modeling things, and now he's preparing the disciples to go out and do it themselves. And the reason why he does this is captured in verse 37. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is big. And we need more laborers to go out there so that we can bring all those who are ready to be brought in to the family of God. It is a bountiful harvest. God has gone before us and he has prepared it. And they are right. They are ready. And the only way to bring in that harvest is through more and more laborers. God has chosen to do it through us. He modeled it himself as he walked this earth. And now he's asking us to do it. And we know that this harvest is plentiful because as soon as, as Jesus, he dies, he raises from the grave, ascends into heaven, sends his spirit, and the first time that Peter, spirit filled with the gospel, preaches the good news, we get to see how bountiful, how plentiful this harvest is. That 3,000 people are saved from one message. Acts 2, 41 reports this. And so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. The harvest is plentiful. The great need that we have is not for a bigger, riper harvest, but for more laborers to go out into the harvest. We have a labor shortage here. And even today, as you think about agriculture, you know, we're blessed with technology and things that make things faster and more efficient. But even today, how is a harvest brought in? It is through laborers going out into the fields and picking the fruit. I have a family member who lives out in central Washington and is involved in apple harvest and cherry harvest. And it's astounding to see all their packing and all the systems they have. But yet still, when it comes time to take fruit off the tree, they are fully de dependent on people to go out there and to pick that fruit. And there are some years in which the harvest is so good that they just don't have enough people to go out and to get all of it. And so they're looking for more and more people to go and to, and to harvest more and more of this good fruit. But the funny thing about every harvest is they don't last forever. There is a harvest season in which the fruit is ready. But yet, once that season is over, what happens to that fruit? It falls off the tree. It begins to rot and decay and is lost forever. In some ways, that is a picture of the harvest that we see before us in the scripture. That the harvest is plentiful. That there are people that God has prepared to be brought in and there is a sense of urgency for us as the laborers, as disciples, to go out into the harvest that they may be brought in. Because the time is coming when the harvest will be over, where Christ will come again to judge the earth in its sin and to make all things new. But until that day, we are in harvest season. 
And we want to be raising up laborers to go out into the harvest field, to share the good news that they may experience fellowship with God. The time is short. Acts 1, chapter 8 through 11, describes Jesus' ascension in front of his disciples. And I want to point out, in verse 11 in particular, that as Jesus told them to go out into all the earth and preach the good news. He ascended into heaven, and the men stood there in shock and awe for quite some time, but then an angel of the Lord said to them in verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. So until Christ comes again, it is harvest season. And we need more laborers to go out into this harvest who are ready and prepared to, sh- to pray and to share the good news of Jesus with others, that they would come into the family of God. And so again, for those of you here who have yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus, know that time is not infinite. Christ's return could come at any moment. And so let today be the day of salvation for you as you put your faith and trust in Jesus. But for us, the laborers, the disciples, which is a disciple simply means a follower of Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, a believer in Jesus, you are one of the disciples. You are one of the laborers that he wants to send out. We know that this is the task that he has called us to do. We ought to walk in this. To not do that is to walk, quite honestly, in, in disobedience and to sin before the Lord. To not do what he has called us to do. James 14, 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. And forgiveness for our sins in Jesus, but let us not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let us walk in obedience before the Lord and be bearers of His good, be bearers of His good news. And so, as I assess the harvest field here, locally, geographically, where we're at as we prepare to close, I indeed see a ripe harvest. If you look at census data for the population here in, in Liberty Lake in the city limits, we have twelve thousand or more people living in this community. That is a lot of people. And do you know how many churches currently exist apart from Harvest here in the city limits? Three. We are church number four. This is a bountiful harvest. There are 12,000 lost sheep in need of a shepherd here. Only 7%, according to research that I found online, identify with a Christian faith out of those 12,000. Meaning, there are about 11,160 people, if these numbers are correct, who are sheep without a shepherd. And so I ask as we conclude this service, number one, for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus, but two, to prayerfully consider, if you are a Christian, will you join us as co-laborers in this community? Will you be laborers sent out into this harvest field that we may minister to people here, preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That we would bring a harvest of lost souls to the Lord, that we would be equipped and built up in the faith as we grow with one another, and that we would be a church more willing five, ten years from now that has a history of sending people to other underreached areas that don't have clear gospel preaching churches 
and yet the harvest is bountiful there. Will you be involved in this mission? I, I pray and hope that you will. And I will continue to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would go before us, that many would come to know him. Would you join me in closing prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, that you sent somebody in our life to preach the good news. Whether it was a pastor, a parent, a friend, a, a youth pastor, whoever it was, Lord, Thank you for their obedience to be a laborer who went out into the harvest field, who likely prayed, and who was faithful to share the gospel with us. Lord, help us to be faithful in those same things. To pray to you earnestly with the same passion and desire that Jesus, we know that you share. To see the lost become found. To see those who are dead be made alive in your spirit. Lord, use the ministries of our church in a mighty way for your kingdom and for your glory. And may we be a church that worships you well, that walks in obedience. Lord, would you receive our worship once again as we sing praises to your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.